Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. A um, couple of quick disclaimers. Uh, I am Puerto Rican. I am active. I'm moving. I'm loud. I'm obnoxious a little bit. And I, you're in the splash zone, unfortunately. Can we get some ponchos? Because I, I just, I'm just a little animated. But I'm excited uh, to be here this morning with you. And um, as, as Randy said, and I've said, I'm a Yankee fan. I was born and raised in New York City. Uh, in the Bronx to be exactly. What part is the Bronx? That's the bad part, the bad part of New York City. And um, and so a little bit of, about me. I am uh, I'm four years old, and um, uh, actually I turned 50 this year. And uh, uh, I used to be the oldest campus guy uh, until the Virginia guy came, and he's the one with the bean in his ear. And so so I'm good. I'm still good. I'm still good. Uh, but uh, I'm, uh, I've just been a, it's been incredible. It's been an incredible journey being a part of South Hills. So I have been married for uh, 29 years, uh, almost 29 years, to my beautiful wife, Monica. Uh, she is everything that you can ask of, 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 a, of a young lady. Uh, she's beautiful, she is smart, she's intelligent, and she tells me what to do. So uh, not only that, I also have four lovely young ladies. I'll put, put a picture up there. Uh, those are my girls. Those are, we call them all the Pena ladies, all the Pena ladies. And so they range from 27, which is the smallest one. The smallest one on the far right is my oldest one. She was born in New York City. She's 27. She's a therapist. She's always trying to psychoanalyze her dad. Uh, then my second oldest is Maddie. Uh, she's the second one, uh, the one next to my wife. Uh, she's a senior at Emmanuel University uh, in Georgia. She's a lacrosse player. And then my, uh, she's 21. And then my third oldest is Sophia. She's the one in black. She's, the, she's smarter than everyone in the, in the group. And she is 15 years old. And uh, the little one right there in the pink, uh, she's uh, the baby. She's the baby. Everybody knows the baby gets everything, right? And she is just turned 13 years old. And she's my baller. Uh, she's plays basketball right now. She's getting ready for her game, and uh, I'm missing it. But, uh, uh, yeah, those are my girls. Those are my girls. God saw fit that I wouldn't have any boys. So there you go. Those are my ladies. And uh, here's a little fun fact about me and Randy. Uh, in 2016, I was pastoring a church. My wife and I were pastoring a church in Puerto Rico. Uh, and um, we had decided uh, we were going to come under the umbrella of South Hills. And so they had flown me out from Puerto Rico to uh, California, uh, where we were having, there was a big round table. Uh, Chris Sonson, Pastor Chris Sonson was having a round table in Bakersfield with a lot of the pastors in the area. And so I was, this was my opportunity to meet uh, all of the pastors. There, there's only a few of them at the time. Uh, and so uh, I sat there and I sat at the table with, there was like three or four of us there and and I met uh, Randy, and I was like, oh, he's a nice little short guy. And, and, um, and, uh, and then the text went around, and they said, we are getting breakfast burritos. And I was like, really? Getting breakfast? But we're in the middle of the conference. And so I said, of course, I'm in. Hello. And, uh, and then about a few minutes later, I said, okay, everybody, one by one, go slowly downstairs to get the, and I was like, oh my gosh, we, we're just, go, we're just, we're doing this. We're actually leaving the conference to go downstairs and get a breakfast burrito. And then uh, we got there and it was, it was yummy and, and whatnot. And, um, and then Pastor Randy says, don't worry about it. I got you. I was like, oh, I love you already. 
Now, number one, you love food like I do. And number two, you're rebellious like me. Oh, this is great. Anyway, that's how I met Pastor Randy and an incredible, him and Hansi have just been incredible. He's one of the OGs, campus pastors. He's an, he's an original guy and uh, we love him and uh, we were able to hang out with them on Friday night before they left and uh, just incredible, incredible family. And so if you get that opportunity to love and appreciate uh, Pastor Randy and, and Hansi and what they do and their family, uh, I encourage you to do so. They're just they work hard throughout the year, things that you see and do not see, uh, and, um, and they would love, love uh, to be appreciated and honored by you guys. Not that they need it, but it's just an incredible gesture. Um, so that is enough about me. Some of you will be like, wow, you talk a lot. Um, I'm going to try to get you out of here uh, as soon as I can, uh, but like I said, I am a talker, okay? So we are in uh, the middle of this this incredible series, uh, Family Month, right? And I hope that you've been enjoying it. I hope, you know, we've carved out time every year to kind of put together some incredible teachings that kind of help you and your family be better and do better, right? And we've been talking about how we see and handle our relationships with the people that we love, the people that we care so much about. And, And then here's the thing, we do that based on how we were raised, right, based how our parents raised us. And, and then on top of that, we, along the way, we kind of pick up little influences, whether that be from other people, that, other families that we've met, things that we've seen on TV. Listen, I grew up with, with the Huxtables. You know, I grew up with different, what you talk about, Willis, right? Now, those are things, the shows I grew up with, and we kind of, kind of somehow, right, kind of use those things to raise our own family. And, and some of it has worked, some of it has been amazing, and some of it, hasn't. You know, my parents, my mom uh, got divorced at a young age, and she was a single parent, and she worked a lot, and, um, you know, she raised me a certain way, and, um, and you know, once the, the hand, you know, you know, at that point, at that time, people got hit, got spanked, my mom used different kind of objects to take care of me, right? And so, uh, we love her for that stuff, right? And so, <clears throat> so far, we've heard um, three things or three lies that kind of influence and, uh, and kind of really damage our relationships. And today, we want to address the lie that, is, that says everyone should sacrifice themselves for the sake of the family. Everyone should sacrifice themselves for the sake of the family. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, maybe you yourself have even applied that in your family. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. And for those of you um, who have multiple kids, like two or more, right, this is really directed to you. How many times have your kids, kids argued uh, uh, and gave you a hard time about the chore that you gave them, right? You, you, you know, there's four girls in my house, and we, we hand out the chores out, and, and, and they have a fit. They have an absolute fit about the chore they, they, they've been given, and they start to argue and bicker with one another, right? They complain that they, one is doing more than everyone else is doing, right, uh, and that it's not fair. And, and this happens, like I said, all of the time in my house, including the dad. <laughs> including the dad. I looked at my wife, right, because 
she's in charge. Anyway, and so what's crazy is that we, as parents, we try to intervene, we try to step in, but everyone has, everyone really has their own perspective. They, they have their own uh, excuses on, on why this is not fair, right? No, I'm helping. No, she's not helping. Oh, but I did more than you last time. No, but I had the sink. Oh, I had the bathroom. Oh, I threw out the trash and on and on. And yours was longer. You got the easy one. Why you got the easy? Because I'm the youngest, right? The, the, the bickering goes back and forth and on and on. And these are tough, really tough disputes to, to solve, right? And the rock, paper, scissors thing doesn't really work out that much. But they were difficult because they believe, right? They believe that work should be evenly divided principally, but not practically. They believe that this is, this is why it's unfair. And the truth of the matter is that that's not the way it works out as adults. That in the adult life, that's not how it plays out. You see, in every relational dynamic, there is some form of inequity. In every relational diagram, in every, in every relationship that we have, there's going to be some, some, some inequity. Someone is, doing, is going to be doing more than someone else. Or at least they feel like they're doing more than everyone else. And sometimes we get in these circular arguments in our marriages. I'm not going to poll the room and see who's married or not, but <laughs> ever played the, the game, who's more tired than who? Yeah, I think all marriages have done that one time or another. No, you, I'm more tired than you. No, I'm more tired. I, I did this, but I did this. And we go back and forth. And it's a great game. It's a great game because it's so much fun because it, it, the reality is no one wins. No one ever wins. You both get mad. You feel insulted by the other one. How dare they say they did more than me, right? It's the best. Not really. But for all the couples who openly argue about it, there's, there's a lot more couples who fall into a rhythm that they just accept this as the reality, even though they don't like it. It is what it is. This is the way things are. To them, there doesn't seem to be any point in really talking about it because they can't find a way to actually solve it. So they just kind of suppress it, they shove it down, and, and they just keep pushing through. But here's the thing. When we overgive... When we overgive and we overserve over and over and over again, we end up bitter. We end up bitter and we are resentful for that fact. You may not verbalize it, you may not talk about it, but every time you and slam the door and you give that look, right? This is you being bitter and resentful for over-serving and over-giving over and over, we become so disconnected from how truly empty and exhausted we are. We don't stop doing what we're doing. We just do it angrily, right? We do it aggressively. You're the angry elf in the house, right? You walk around and, hmm, and what's wrong? Nothing. Why are you mad? No reason. 
You mad? No. Okay, right? Annoyed that the people that you're serving won't help you, even though you haven't sat down and even talked to them about it. A lot of people who experience this don't, don't talk about it. They just quietly carry it around. But you know where it does kind of seep out? It seeps out in a counseling session. When people go see a counselor. In a book by a well-known Christian author or Christian counselor, he wrote down some of the things that are the most common things he hears from people when they start uh, sit down and they start sharing their feelings or their family dynamics. I can't do this anymore. All I do is give. I pour myself into everyone else until they got nothing left, until I have nothing left. I don't know who I'm, I'm outside. I don't know who I am outside of doing what they need me to do. I feel exhausted. I feel depleted, cheated, and dead inside. They've also said things like, my partner doesn't appreciate how demanding it is to do as much as I do for the kids and for him and for her or around the house. I don't know how they think or I don't know what they think I do all day, but they treat me like it's nothing. I'm worn out. I'm worn out doing what's best for everyone else. When is it allowed? When is it allowed to be about me for once? If I complain about being overwhelmed, I'm told I'm too emotional. Right? These are the things that people are sharing with their counselor. But for all of the people who, stay, who say stuff like this in counseling, there is a whole group, a whole bunch of other people who don't go to counseling because they're convinced that it won't make a difference. It's not going to do anything. Nothing's going to really change in my household. My question is, have you been there before? Feeling this way, feeling tired, feeling exhausted of giving and giving and giving. And it doesn't seem like anyone is recognizing or returning that giving. Maybe, maybe you've been told, man, this is, this is just the way it is. This is, this is the family dynamic. This is what it means to have a family. This is what is required, right? Family requires sacrifice. I don't know what to tell you, so just suck it up. Family first. Always. And for some of us, well, it's even worse because we're convinced that this isn't just the way it is. It's, it's actually the way God wants us to be. Right? This is, we're convinced that this is, this is how God wants us to, to manage our family. We're supposed to sacrifice, to, to, to lay down our lives for each other, Right? That's what the word of God says, right? Offer yourself as a sacrifice. Romans 12, 1. If you want to be first, you must first be a slave. Matthew 20, 27. Deny yourself and, and pick up that cross, right? Luke, chapter, uh, Luke 9, 23. That's what we read over and over in the, in the word of God. And if you're convinced, consistent, quiet, unquestioned, one-sided sacrifice is all that God wants from you, Friends, I want to tell you this morning that, that you're going to end up hating God. You're going to end up hating church. You're not going to want to have anything to do with this because it's going to wear you out. 
it's going to drive you to the point of, of just like, I have, there's no end to this. But is that a fair assessment? Is that a fair assessment? In reality, these passages that, that, that I just mentioned present us with a, a paradox, if you would, right? You can't have great relationships without sacrifice, but if you sacrifice everything that you are, then there's nothing left to relate to. So you're, you're caught in the middle. You're caught in the middle and you're like trying to figure out like, man, my family is struggling. I'm struggling. How do we do this? How do we get out of this? Which one do we prefer? Which one do we go after first? So I think it's, it's important this, mor- this morning that we define what sacrifice really is, right? Sacrifice is willingly giving up something of value that you own for the sake of someone else. I'll repeat that again. Sacrifice is willingly giving up, so you're not being forced to do something or you're not, you're not, some, not, something is not being taken from you. You're willingly giving up something of value, something that you appreciate, something that's of worth, that you own for the sake of someone else. It's choosing to lay down, <clears throat> excuse me, an aspect of yourself for someone else out of your love for them, right? Think about that. You're wanting to do something to lay down your life for the benefit of someone else because you love them, okay? So with that being said, I think it's safe to say that sacrificial love flows from a state of life-giving abundance, not emptiness. Does that make sense? So out of the abundance that we have inside, we get to give, we get to bless, we get to share that love. But if we pulled the room, how many of us would raise our hand and say, well, I'm not in abundance, I'm actually empty. And the truth of the matter is that when we give out of emptiness, now we're being resentful. Now we're being angry. Now we're exhausted and we don't have much in the tank to share with someone, to do for someone, to give to someone from us. And there lies the problem. For some of us, the definition has become warped in our mind and we've misled and we've, uh, excuse me, we've mislabeled self-sacrifice as self-abandonment. So we think we were, we're self-sacrificing, but in actuality, what we're really doing is abandoning ourselves. We've traded the virtue of humility for its subtle, sinful counterfeits, self-doubt, self-loathing, and self-betrayal. And once this becomes your habit, once this becomes your routine, a way of doing things, it's really, really hard to break. You don't see any way out. You get stuck in a cycle of over-serving, over-giving, over-extending, becoming quietly bitter, resentful, and angry, breaking down, blowing up, blaming everyone else 
And then once you're done with that, you begin to disengage. Right? You, you kind of start pushing away from your family. You disengage from the things that they're doing and disappearing altogether. But then this is why it's a cycle. Because after a while, like, God, I want to be with my family. I want to be with my family. And so you get these feelings of loneliness and, and, and you're still boundaryless, right? There's still no boundaryless, but you're feeling lonely. And then you jump right back into the repeat cycle. And you do it over again until you start feeling angry and bitter and you step away again and then you start feeling lonely and then you step back in and the cycle continues over and over and over and it happens to the best of us let me give you an example from the word of god in the old testament in exodus this is where we're going to be in today exodus 18 13 and 14 gives us the story of moses and jethro his father-in-law and it says the next day moses took his seat Uh, to hear the people's disputes against each other. They waited before him from morning to evening. That's a long time. It's a very long time, from morning to evening. I I, I sit for half an hour. I'm like, right? But they waited from morning to evening. Verse 14, when Moses' father-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, excuse me, he asked, what are you really accomplishing here? That's an incredible question. He wasn't being sarcastic. He wasn't being rude. He's asking the question, what are you doing here? Excuse me, what are you accomplishing here? You see, sometimes a lot of us would watch someone, what someone else is doing, and, and kind of like, mm, I, don't, I don't know if that's done right. And, and before asking a question, we jump in and start giving our own two cents. Let, let, me, let me show you what you do, how to do it, right? That's not, I, I, I didn't ask you to. That's, that's not the way I want to do it. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. Right? The truth is, friends, that good advice aimed at the wrong objective is bad advice. If you don't know the reason why someone is doing it or why, what's the importance or the value of doing it, and you just come in and give you two cents and you're not really giving good advice, you're giving bad advice. Some people say, mind your business. That's rude in church. That's rude. Now, Jethro, he's a wise dude. He's a wise dude, and he's, he's asking the right questions. Again, he wasn't asking to be sarcastic or to give his two cents or anything like that. He's asking the question, right? He's asking the right questions before offering any suggestions. And what makes it even more brilliant is that as helpful as it would for Jethro uh, to hear the answer, it's even more helpful for Moses to kind of process that in in his head, to process that question and kind of answer that in his head. And so this morning I want to ask, what about you? What about you in your life? In this season where you find yourself today, what are you trying to accomplish within your family dynamics? Some of you are just doing things. It just, it just feels like you're on, on a robotic state, right? You just keep, I wake up, I do this, I do that, do that, come back, eat, go. Like it's just on and on and becomes mundane. But have you taken some time to, to ask yourself the questions, the important questions? What are you trying to accomplish? 
Are you doing what you've always done? Are you living impulsively or in, intentionally? And this morning, I want you to think about that. Because a life that is lived robotically, is not a, that's not the life that Jesus came. He said, I came to give you a good life, a full life. Is that a full life for you? And then Jethro follows that up, and he, he's, he's going to ask Moses, why is he doing what he is doing? And so he says, why are you trying to do this all alone while everyone stands around you from morning to evening? Another great question. Another great question. He's asking, is this the best way? Is this the best way to accomplish what you're trying to do here? He sees that, that Moses, Moses is doing all of the work, which quite honestly, isn't effective or really efficient. But you know what it is? It's exhausting. Moses is doing all of the work, and it's exhausting. Moses is feeling it, and so are the people around him. They're feeling it as well. And here's the thing when it comes to to us today and our relationships. Some of our families work much the same way. One person does most of the work while everyone else just stands around. In fact, there are some of us in our house don't even, like, I don't know what they're doing. I'm going to, they're over there doing. We, we, someone is cleaning and, and we close the door. The vacuums go. We don't want to hear the vacuum. Come around the vacuum, we lift up our legs. Some of us go in and see the dishwasher full, we take the spoon. Now, I'm not trying to call out stuff, right? It's called conviction. If you're feeling convicted, (laughs) that's God working in you this morning. (laughs) But here's what Jethro knows and what I want you to know here today. That if for you, for your family to regularly win, it requires one person in your family to regularly lose, you'll all eventually lose when that person loses. You see, your family is a team. And if you play team sports of any kind, you'll understand that you're only as good as your weakest link. And if there's someone on your team that is doing most of the work and they happen to get tired, exhausted, get hurt, and nobody else has been filling in, that team will struggle. My daughter's a point guard. She's 13 years old and she's the leader of her team and she does a a pretty good job at it. She came the other day, last week they took a couple of losses and she was so mad and so you know, she was, she, was, she was irritable. She goes, I was like, what's going on? And she was like, God, the girls couldn't do it, Dad. They couldn't help me. The other team decided a full court process, and, and our girls just couldn't do it. They couldn't make it happen. And so the coach took me out, and then it got even worse. I said, yeah, 
because the people on your team need to figure it out and play as a team. And they can't, they need to realize that you cannot do this on your own, that you need them to accomplish the goal. And it's the same dynamic in our homes. And at the same time, nobody can, nobody can make you do something that you don't allow them to. Nobody can draw the appropriate boundaries in your life but you. They can help you and empower you, but they can't do it for you. Every exhausted person that I've ever met is complicit in creating their own exhaustion. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say is that something has to change in your family dynamic. In verse 15, Moses replied back to Jethro, and he replies to his questions, because the people come to me to get a ruling from God. When a dispute arises, they come to me, and I'm the one who settles the case between the quarreling parties. I inform the people of God's decrees and give them his instruction. And basically, mostly Moses is saying, dude, they need me. They need me. I have to do it this way. I'm the only one who can do this. I hate, I really hate that they need me, but they need me. They really do. But I love being needed. I love being needed. So I'm probably going to keep complaining without changing anything. I'm going to keep doing it without changing what I'm doing. How many of us have felt, have caught, been caught in that trap as well? Then in verse 17, Jethro replies back and he says, man, this, this is not good. You're going to wear yourself out and the people as well. The job is too heavy a burden for you to handle all by yourself. I love the, the, the subtle way that he says, man, this is not good. This is not right. This, this is not the way it should play out. And he, then he gives them a reality check that a lot of us are trying to hold, who are trying to hold everything all together by ourselves can kind of see and, and, and really could use. Basically what he's saying is, is you're not meant to do this alone. You're not meant to do this alone. You're killing yourself and cheating the people in the process. I know it's not your intention, but you need to think about where this is headed, what behavior you are creating in them. Yes, love does require sacrifice, but sacrifice does not require burnout. And that is where you're headed. And I think that's incredible wisdom for us today. He uses, doesn't use these words directly, but we use this word self-care a lot, especially post-COVID. Self-care, self-care. We've seen it on magazines. We've seen it on notebooks. We've seen it on a lot of different things. And so it's a buzzword. But there's a lot of misunderstanding about what it actually is. You see, self-care is not being selfish or self-centered putting yourself first or constantly looking out for number one. In fact, selflessness is making our own needs and desires more important than others. Self-care is taking full adult responsibility for yourself. It's practicing a balanced approach to personal health and well-being. 
You see, your needs and desires not, are not us. You, you see your needs and desires not as more than others, but as important as others. There's this famous Jesus line or quote that can provide a, a lot of clarity to what we're talking about today. And that's found in Mark 12, 31, where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Right? We've heard that before. Love your neighbor as yourself. We've gone to do serve projects, right? To love our community this way. Love your neighbor as yourself. But here's the thing. We oftenly mistake. We, excuse me. We, we often mistakenly read this incorrectly because we swap out the words and we change the meaning by doing so. We trade as, right? So love your neighbor as yourself. We trade the as for instead of. Love your, love your neighbor instead of yourself. Or we use the term more than. Love your neighbor more than yourself. So instead of serving people graciously, we enslave ourselves to them bitterly. And everyone pays. Now, taking this verse seriously means that, that I place a high value on myself and a high value on you. Right? Think about that. So when we take this scripture and kind of plug it and play it, what we're really wanting to say is I put a high value on myself and I put a high value on you. I don't see the people around me as better or worse than me. I see them as my equals. Here's how this fits into the family dynamic. Healthy families invest in caring for themselves as much as they do for caring for everyone else. Healthy families invest in caring for themselves as much as they do in caring for everyone else. In other words, I don't just take care of myself and ignore you. I take care of myself so that I can take care of you. In other words, you got to go back. you got to fill yourself up. Right? We talked about that giving out of the abundance. Because when we give out of the abundance, we become cheerful givers. We want to give more. But if we are not taking care of ourselves, there's nothing to give. We're giving out of the emptiness. And we become that angry elf again. Right? Those, are, those who are over-giving and over-serving usually want the people around them to step up and are confused as to why they're not. But most people won't work. Here's a, here's, a, here's a kicker right here. Most people won't work to become competent at something someone else is capable of and content to do for them. In other words, someone is not going to step up to the plate and swing for the fences if someone is, they have a DH, a designated doer, a designated person that's already going to do it for them. And so we think about, are we really doing justice to our family? Are we raising our kids to have a DH in life? Instead of teaching them from the very get-go, hey, you have chores to do. You have responsibilities to do. Here's how you do them. Here's how you contribute to the family dynamics. And if, and if, and if, and if you win and I win, we all win. Amen? And that's essentially what Jethro wants Moses to see. 
Dude, you created this problem. But he offers up a solution. Verse 20 in Exodus. Teach them good decrees and give them his instruction. Show them how to conduct their lives. So he starts by validating where Moses is coming from. Right? These, these people, yeah, they do need you. These are your people. God gave them to you. They can't do it yet. But your job, your job, Moses, is to train them, to teach them, to move them along their way, right? To get everybody moving and hurting in the same direction. This is a process. And he outlines three key pieces to the process. Teach. Here are your values. Instruct. Here are the principles. And show. Here's how you do the practice. Here's the practice. Teach, instruct, and show. And if you're missing any of these components, people will often be confused about what it is that they're supposed to do, about how to do it, and why. So let me, let me give you an example to this. Let's just say, right, your values for your family are humility, compassion, and service. Those are three good ones. Humility, compassion, and service. Now those are good, but they're broad, right? They're broad. Humility, compassion, and service. So how do you value those things? Well, there are a lot of principles that can help you apply those values. So values, then there's principles on how you can begin to apply those values. One might be to, we, we take ownership, we take ownership of, of how our behavior affects others. So those are the values, and the, one of the principles is we take ownership of how our behavior affects others. But pastor, how do you apply that principle to an everyday relational situation? Well, one practice to that might be um, the way you approach an apology. I'm sorry I hurt you. Please forgive me. How can I make it right? So we have the values. We have the, the, the principles to those values. And now we have the practices to those principles that support those values. So you will have a couple of values, but then there will be some principles and that, and that, that grow from those values. And then there will be more practices that grow from those principles. I hope that kind of makes sense. And so maybe, maybe you're here looking at me like, Pastor, first of all, you're talking way too much. Number two, that's a lot of stuff to do. I, I, in Idaho, we, 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 we're simple. We, we like things simple. That's, that's just a lot of steps. That's a lot of time, a lot of energy, to, to, a lot of effort to, to teach and instruct and show. You know what would be easier, Pastor? If I just did it. I just did it myself. It's just easier for me to do it. But you, you, trying to teach my husband how to clean something, it's the worst. It takes too long. I want to go to the mall. And he, he's the one that's buying stuff. So I'll just do it myself, and then we can get out, and we can go on our day. It's just easier that way. Yeah, I get it. It's quicker, easier. But what's going to happen is you just hit the repeat button going to continue to happen. The dynamics are, are still going to be the same. And there's, no, there's not going to be any growth to your family dynamics. You're still going to be bitter. You're still going to be upset. 
He's still going to be stomping around. He can still slam the, the, the door. He's still going to look at people like, right? And we want to change that. We want to be better. The process Jethro lays out is really leadership. If you come to think of it, it's really leadership. It's also discipleship. And it's also parenting. Those three are in there, right? And the goal for all three is to teach those underneath you how to do what you're doing for for them and for themselves. Because eventually your kids would be adults at one point. And I have four girls. And I have to, my wife and and I have to be able to teach them, instruct them, and show them these things. And if we do this right, church, it ought to encompass all four key areas of life, physical, emotional, relational, and spiritual. We're going to see the growth in those areas. Yes, it's going to be hard now, but it will be worth it in the long run. Jethro tells Moses that if he sticks with it, this will be the result. Verse 23, if you follow this advice and if God, excuse me, commands you to do so, then you will be able to endure Uh, pressures, and all these people will go home in peace. If you do this right, if you teach them and show them and instruct them, eventually it will reap the benefits. In other words, everyone will win. Everyone will win. I'm going to wrap this up this morning. Everyone said, Amen. Randy said he talks a lot. I don't know. Me and Andy were on the phone texting. We were like, how long do you preach for? How long do you preach for? How long do your people, how long can your people withstand your, the time? I don't know how long people withstand your time. I'm wrapping it up. Honestly, I am. Friends, if your family doesn't seem to be at peace, And you yourself are not at peace. Something inside of you has said, why is that? Why are we not at peace? Why does it seem like, like, man, I don't know if you've ever done it. Women, maybe you've done it. You sat in a car and you you don't want to go inside yet. Because something inside you is not right. There's no peace in your home. I think whether you're a believer or not, something inside of you should say, man, why is that? Why don't I want to go inside? Or maybe you, you got into the door and you go, and you walk in. Why do you feel that? Why do you feel anxiety? Why are we talking to our spouses a certain way that's not not uplifting and encouraging and loving? Why are we speaking down to the kids? Why are we barking out commands to the kids instead of, hey, we need to do this or this needs to get done? Some of you say, because they don't listen. I get that. As a husband, I sometimes don't listen either. But I do reflect a lot. You see, I don't want to be 
I don't want just to be a husband or a dad. I want to be the best husband and I want to be the best dad. I want to give my wife and my kids what was not probably not given to me. You see, I wasn't born in church. I went to Catholic school and, and that was cool and, and whatnot, but I wasn't born in church. In fact, I didn't even come to know Christ accept him as my Lord and Savior until I hit rock bottom in life at the age of 27. Do the math, I'm about to turn 50 in a month. In fact, my wife brought me to Jesus. She was born and raised in church. And I've done some incredible, rude and obnoxious and careless and wrong things in life. I've hurt people. I've caused damage, not only to myself, but to those around me that I love and care about. And so in this season of life, where I have four girls ages 27 to 13, I want to be the best dad and the best example of what a godly man should be like to them. So that when they get of age, and some of them are there already, that they would find someone say, oh, you're not like my dad. You, <laughs> you ain't for me. See, my dad is going to honor God first. He's going to honor my wife, my mom, secondly. And he's going to love his children. And he's going to do everything he can to make sure that his family dynamic is right. Have I gotten there? I haven't, I haven't arrived yet. I'm still just working out some kinks, some bigger than others. But man, do I want to. And I'm going to keep working at it because I do not like that feeling and nor do I want to stay in that feeling of, oh, I need to go inside my house, but I really don't want to because this, this is going to happen. I want to enjoy my marriage. I want to enjoy my kids. And because I want that and because God has said he sent me his son so that I can live a full life, there's some things that I got to change, some things that I have to address to do better and be better as the man that God has called me to be. So I want to leave you with this. When you sit down and you process the family dynamics in your life and you're feeling the way you're feeling, it's a great opportunity to ask your family if they think you overserve or underserve and what they think you uh, being more balanced will look like. And not only ask, do you ask that question, but you begin to implement it in your marriage. Maybe your wife says, man, I need you to be more sensitive. I need you to be more loving. Or maybe, maybe your husband says, I need more respect from you. I need you to show me you care about the things that I care about. And maybe your kids are telling you some things. Oh, Dad, I need you to pay attention. Or Mom, I need you to kind of focus here. I think that if we would just begin to take small steps and begin to apply these things in our lives, our family dynamics will begin to change and start leaning a little bit more to what God purposed and called us to do. Because church, if you don't take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of others. And Jesus understood this and he modeled 
this for us to his disciples and disciples uh, modeled this for us and we can take an example from that. And so I wonder what would happen if you made it your goal to create more equity in your family instead of over-serving or under-serving, that you would realize that you are part of something bigger than yourself, that you're responsible to take care for yourself, to take uh, to care about each other, and to help them learn to care for themselves. Yes, I agree. It's complicated. Makes you want to pull your hair out. I don't have much, but yeah. Some issues are going to be bigger than others. Some seasons are going to be more complicated and exhausting than others. But ultimately, in the end, if we commit to this way of being according to Scripture, everyone gets to walk away a winner. Everyone gets to walk away at peace. And so today, when you sat down, you came, and maybe you're still sitting on it, and that's cool. You just slide that out. You got a little paper here. It's not really homework. But I wanted to kind of make the first move for you. And I wanted to put in your hands a piece of paper that will kind of help kind of realign some of the things in your family. And it's called Domestic Division of Labor, a worksheet. And it talks about overall responsibilities, who's doing it, daily responsibility, when to do it, coordinating, maintenance, admin, financial, all of it, pet care. Who's doing it? And if one person is the majority on this list, you got a problem. Because that's not healthy. So I want you to leave here today knowing that if your name is, it's not a good thing if your name is all over this. That this, or not there at all. See my wife, she tells me what to do. Can't say but that this should help. Start bringing in the kids on some of these. Start bringing in the spouses on some of these. Share the love. Share the wealth in your family. And you'll see, I promise you, you'll begin to see the change in the family dynamics for the better. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we bless you. We thank you, Lord.